Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Making Sense of Science, the show that features interviews with leading experts in health and science about the latest developments. I'm your host, Kira Peikoff, the editor of Leaps.org, and today we're going to talk about the very exciting new anti-COVID pill from Pfizer that many experts expect will be a game changer for the future trajectory of our very challenging pandemic. I'm honored that my guest today is Charlotte Allerton, Senior Vice President and Head of Medicine Design at Pfizer. Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. So let's dive right in. When I initially contacted you to come on this podcast about a month or so ago, I was excited to hear about the positive clinical trial for the new Pfizer pill. And now with the arrival of Omicron, it seems like an even more critical tool to have in our arsenal. Is this the first drug specifically designed to target SARS-CoV-2? Well, um, let me just step back and tell you a little bit uh, about the background to uh, Paxlovid. So, you know, early on in the pandemic and Pfizer, we were keen to work on both vaccines that I think are very important to prevent infection by the disease and also therapeutics. And we particularly wanted to work on an oral that we felt could treat very early in disease and prevent the progression to some of the severe disease and hospitalization and death that sadly uh, we have seen. So we did set about designing a molecule specifically for treatment for the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, as far as we're aware, it's the only small molecule oral therapeutic that has been designed specifically for this pandemic. Wow. And so the recent studies uh, released by Pfizer have shown that it reduces the risk of hospitalization and death in people at high risk by 89%. Can you tell us more about the clinical trial that established this? Certainly. And just actually um, referring to your previous uh, answer, of course, there are other molecules designed for the pandemic that are also in uh, in clinical trial. But as far as we're aware, ours is uh, the most uh, advanced. So um, we have currently, um, well, we started fee two, three, phase two, three trials uh, with Paxlovid. The first one was in patients that were at high risk of progressing to hospitalization or death with uh, one or more risk factors such as their age or um, conditions such as diabetes. And we've also run a second phase two, three trial, which was in standard risk patients. Uh, that actually includes patients that don't have one of those risk factors, factors but also um, high risk patients uh, that were vaccinated. And then we also have a prophylaxis uh, trial running uh, where we essentially are treating uh, household members um, who have been exposed to COVID-19. So the data that we uh, shared a few weeks ago um, was interim data from our trial in high-risk patients. And obviously, we were very pleased with the data that showed that we had an 89% relative risk reduction in hospitalization uh, or death for patients treated within three days of symptom onset. And then recently we've shared the full data set, which has confirmed uh, that data and gives us great hope um, that when we hear back from the regulatory agencies and we can actually put Paxlovid into patients' hands, that it will save a lot of lives and change the course of this pandemic. And in terms of regulatory authorization, uh, there's a big discussion going on right now about who will be authorized under the um, expected 
authorization because uh, I think what's on a lot of people's minds is they now with Omicron, it seems like everyone left and right is getting breakthrough infections. Not every one of those people will be a, quote, high risk individual. Do you think that those people will be excluded from the designation of the this prescription or will it only be authorized for people with clear comorbidities or, or high risk factors? So that's that's not a, a, a piece that I can comment on. Obviously, that will be at the decision of the regulatory uh, agencies, and we look forward to hearing what they decide. Um, and then can you talk a little bit about the trial that's um, ongoing in the low-risk people? I saw that an interim analysis showed the drug had a 70% reduction in hospitalization, which, of course, these people are low-risk in the first place. Um, when do you expect that trial to fully read out? So um, we're expecting to hear more from that trial uh, in the first quarter. Let me just, if you don't mind, because my main involvement actually with Paxlovid has been in the design of the molecule. I'm less of the clinical expert, although I'm happy to, to answer your question there. But perhaps I'll step back a little bit to the design of the molecule and what it's doing to the virus and then uh, some of the clinical uh, data that we've seen. So Paxlovid is actually um, uh, two compounds. It's our oral antiviral, nomotrelvir and is co-dosed with a molecule called ritonavir, whose function is purely to block the metabolism of our oral antiviral and to increase its exposure, meaning it stays in the body longer and at higher concentration, enabling it to be very effective at uh, killing the virus. So our oral antiviral nomotrelvir actually is targeting what we call the main protease. Um, and the main protease is involved in viral replication. Essentially, when the virus comes into our body, uh, it then enters our cells through an interaction between the spike protein um, and receptors on the cell surface. And then it takes over our cell machinery, enables its own uh, replication. And the main protease is involved in processing two of the large viral proteins that are produced into smaller proteins that go on to form this viral replication machinery. So by blocking that main protease, we're really blocking the viral replication. And, you know, that's uh, what we hoped would lead to the good antiviral uh, activity clinically. So what we saw in the high risk patient population that we've shared is uh, the significant impact on reducing the risk of hospitalization or death. And that was actually also accompanied by a significant drop in the viral load of those patients. What we've reported in the standard risk uh, trial from the interim read is that we also saw uh, a reduction in hospitalization or death, and that was based on a secondary endpoint. And that was accompanied also by the reduction, the substantial reduction in viral load uh, that we'd seen in the high risk trial. So it's good to see that mechanism of action coming through in both of those patient populations. So... This is a really important point I want to highlight, and I think it's been sort of um, overlooked in a lot of media discussion around this drug so far. Given that it's it seems to greatly reduce viral load, will, does that imply that it will also reduce contagiousness of that infected person or shorten the duration of their contagiousness? So we haven't got clinical data that shows that uh, yet. Obviously, we're very interested in that question uh, also. Uh, what we have seen actually um, reported in the literature from an animal study is that when uh, an animal was treated with nomotrelvir, um, that uh, when it was co-housed with other animals, they didn't get the infection. But we haven't got the clinical data to underpin that yet. Obviously, we are also very interested in that. 
Is there a time frame in which you think that that data will be readily available? I'm not able to share that at the moment. Um, And one other thing I would love to highlight about this for our audience, is it true that this pill doesn't depend on our immune system's antibody levels or prior exposure to be effective? It's a really good question, and it's a particularly good question as, you know, we have variants of concern uh, that are emerging, and uh, those variants of concern uh, are occurring through mutations in the spike protein uh, of the virus. And of course, I talked earlier about the spike protein being important for enabling um, the uh, viral particle to enter the cells. Our molecule works on that protease, uh, that main protease that's produced inside the cell. It's a separate protein entity. So that gave us confidence that nomotrelvir or Paxlovid uh, should continue to have activity across those variants of concern. Um, we do have in vitro antiviral activity um, that uh, confirms that. And of course, with Omicron, we're still obtaining that data. But do we do have initial data that shows us that Nomotrelvir is effective at inhibiting the protease that's associated with Omicron, which is increases our confidence that it should also retain the antiviral activity, although we're looking to confirm that in laboratory studies. So if that is positively confirmed, then that would be a real bright spot because now we're getting the news that the monoclonal antibodies aren't largely aren't going to be effective anymore. Um, I just saw that one of the New York hospitals no, are no longer even going to offer monoclonals because the new variant gets around them. So if this drug does indeed still maintain its effectiveness in the face of Omicron, I think that's just such a, a huge bright light in this really dark era again. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, uh, I think it's been tough on the world as more and more variants of concern uh, you know, emerge. And we're going to need a whole toolbox ultimately to uh, conquer this pandemic. And I think everyone's work on vaccines has been outstanding. The monoclonal antibodies have been an important part of that. And oral antivirals will also be an important part of that. And we hope Paxlovid will make a significant difference as part of that. So just to further underscore your explanation before, if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated and you get access to this drug, it should still help you when you're in, if you get infected, right? Well, again, I need to be careful because we don't have the clinical data that specifically points to that. What I did mention earlier, though, is a high-risk trial, the patients were unvaccinated. In the standard risk trial, it was both patients who don't have those same risk factors for severe disease, but also patients with those risk factors who had been vaccinated. And within that trial, which was a mix of those patients, we did still see a consistent uh, drop in viral load, consistent to the high risk trial. So that gives us hope, but we haven't pulled it apart by vaccinated or unvaccinated to be able to very specifically answer the question uh, that you're asking. Got it. And you mentioned just a little earlier that someone would need to start taking this pill within three days, although I've read five days in other reports. So can you just clarify that? Yes. So in the high-risk trial, for patients um, who uh, took Paxlovid within three days of symptom onset, there was an 89% uh, relative risk reduction of hospitalization or death. We also looked at those who took Paxlovid within five days of symptom onset. And actually in the full data set, that was an 88%. So really very consistent relative risk reduction of hospitalization or death. So I think that was very encouraging. And obviously, you know, depending on uh, emergency approval and us being able to move 
Paxlovid uh, forward into patients' hands, we're looking at ways that we could expedite access to the medicine very quickly after a positive test uh, to ensure that we have that impact in terms of uh, reducing uh, the impact on hospitalization and death in, uh, in society. Was that a surprise to you that at three days and five days, it was still pretty much equally effective? So um, uh, it's a good question. Was it a surprise? Um, I think, you know, by measuring both, we wanted to ensure we understood how best to treat patients with Paxlovid. But I think we were confident uh, that we would retain the activity across that window. And, you know, part of that comes back to the design of the molecule. And, you know, the molecule um, inhibits the protease very potently. So it blocks that protease and prevents it playing its part in uh, viral replication. And then, of course, what we needed to be sure of is that we were achieving very high concentrations in our patients to really maintain very robust antiviral uh, efficacy. And we knew we had achieved that as we head into these uh, clinical efficacy phase two, three trials. So, you know, we felt confident that we would see good antiviral activity, but obviously we were extremely pleased when we saw the data from those clinical trials. And how many pills of the um, antiviral plus the other drug is it that you take over the course? And, and how long is the whole course? What, what is it like to take this um, if you get it prescribed? What's the experience of it? So um, the pill is uh, nomotrelvir plus ritonavir. So we have 300 mg of nomotrelvir and we have 100 mg of ritonavir, and we take it twice a day, daily over a five-day course. Uh, it's actually three pills uh, twice daily because the 300 mg are two 150 mg uh, pills of nomotrelvir. And uh, I haven't taken it, so I can't talk to the personal experience of it, but I think the therapeutic benefit of it um, is very encouraging. And what was the side effect profile like in the trials? Uh, the side effect profile, you know, again, was was uh, very encouraging. Um, we, we tended to see uh, not a difference between placebo and uh, treatment. And of course, for those, of who, those patients whose uh, symptoms were improving, uh, that uh, showed in terms of a, a, an improvement in some of the uh, uh, endpoints that you would expect associated with COVID-19. Great. And then another question, I really haven't heard any discussion. I think it's Far too soon, I'm sure that's what you'll say to even answer the question, but I can't help but ask or wonder, um, is it theoretically plausible that if you take this drug pretty much right off the bat within three or five days, uh, as indicated, that the person who, who takes it would reduce their risk of long COVID? So again, it's a it's a great question, and uh, we don't repeat we don't have clinical data to show that, and it's important I keep saying that because I don't want to mislead anyone. And obviously, we are very interested also in the impact of Paxlovid on uh, long COVID. We are hoping that we will get more information on that because in both of the trials I've talked to you about the high risk, uh, the trial in uh, high risk patients and the trial in standard risk patients, we have follow on with those patients at three and six months, and we will be discussing their COVID symptoms with them. And of course, some of the symptoms associated with long COVID, the fatigue and other symptoms have been very debilitating for patients. So we will look forward to getting that data and sharing when appropriate. Great, great. And one question I, I'm also curious about, if somebody were to take this drug after they got infected, 
Will their immune systems still build antibodies and T and B cells to the virus, or is the immune response fundamentally altered by taking this drug? This is a a, a very different mechanism of action, as we've discussed. It's it's uh, targeting a main protease inside the cell, and it's um, you know entirely focused on stopping viral replication. Uh, once, uh, you know, people have been infected uh, with the virus and preventing that progression. Of course, you know, to us, the most important thing is not to get the disease. And so we would always say that vaccines uh, remain a critically important part of the pandemic and building up that immune protection to COVID-19. But unfortunately, you know, not everybody can be vaccinated. Some choose not to be vaccinated. And we are seeing emergence of uh, variants of concern that change the effectiveness of the vaccine. So I think breakthrough infections will be a part of COVID-19 and Paxlovid was very much designed with that in mind to provide a treatment option that would prevent the progression to the severe disease we've discussed. Right, right. Maybe this is um, beyond what you'll, you'd be able to speak to, but if the, if the FDA does authorize it shortly, um, which I've seen is highly expected, how soon do you think it will be available on, on pharmacy shelves and um, how scarce will it be? So um, I can't speak to how soon it will be on pharmacy shelves, but we do have uh, treatment courses of Paxlovid available for patients this year, subject to the approvals that you have uh, or the emergency authorizations that uh, you have spoken to. And uh, we also made very early investments in manufacturing um, and so we plan to have up to 80 million treatment courses available for 2022 um, with 30 million of those we are aiming to have available during the first half of next year. And that's thanks really to very early uh, investment in the manufacturing that uh, leads to the production of Paxlovid. And, you know, this is a program that has moved at considerable speed. You know, we, we first started the program, the design of the molecule in March of 2020, we identified it in uh, July of 2020, and then we started our first phase two, three trial less than a year later, having assessed the pharmacokinetics and safety in healthy volunteers and undertaken a very robust toxicology uh, package. So, um, you know, it really has moved at pace and we're excited that we've invested in that manufacturing and hopeful of the benefit that that will bring. Yeah, it sounds like an absolutely breakneck pace for drug development, but obviously we can see why. Um, can you speak a little bit about your specific role in the development process? So my role I lead, uh, as you uh, kindly introduced me, uh, medicine design, as uh, we call it in Pfizer, which is many of the scientific disciplines involved in uh, the design of our small molecule therapeutics. And of course, our oral antiviral was a part of that. So I I've been fortunate enough to work very closely with the team that designed Nobotrelvia and uh, then moved that into clinical uh, development and ultimately showed the impact that Paxlova did in our recent clinical trials. So it's been a real privilege to me to work with those colleagues who have been incredibly committed to bringing this option forward to patients. That's amazing. So you said first half of next year, it should be more widely available to people who may need it. Of course, that will depend on robust testing infrastructure, which we know is very strained, at least here in the U.S. at the moment. And hopefully that can be also ramped up because we know we'll depend on a positive test to get the prescription. So uh, I know that's a whole other separate piece of this, but it does seem at least apt to mention that 
it will rely on that, um, which as anyone probably knows who's tried to buy a test or access a test, especially like in the New York, New Jersey area where I live, it's it's pretty tough out there right now. Absolutely. I think testing will be a critical part of this, actually a critical part of managing the pandemic as well. And uh, uh, we're very much focused on it, ensuring access to Paxlovid when it's or if it's uh, approved or gets emergency authorization. And as part of that, of course, it will be important to provide access to tests. And uh, last question I wanted to get in there. Is there any testing on kids underway for this molecule? Uh, we are currently discussing our pediatric plans and we will look forward to updating uh, uh, everyone with those in due course. And um, just wanted to give you a chance to offer any final thoughts on the importance of this really a true breakthrough for the pandemic and hopefully uh, will guide us in a much better direction in, in the new year. Um, and any further thoughts that you would want to share? I think uh, you've asked great questions. You know, um, there's a lot of incredible science that's gone on to help conquer the COVID-19 pandemic. We've talked about a number of them, the vaccines, uh, all of the antiviral approach, the monoclonal antibodies, uh, different uh, oral antivirals. And our hope is that collectively this will help us move from a pandemic to an endemic where we can coexist with COVID-19 without the impact it's having on everyone's health and on society generally. So. Uh, we will keep our fingers crossed. Well, that will be my my wish for the new year, and I'm sure everybody else's as well. Um, so thank you for such an interesting discussion, Charlotte, and thanks for our, to everyone for listening. If you like the show, follow Making Sense of Science to hear our new episodes coming in January. Until next time, have a great new year, everybody, and stay safe.